Alamo Theater on Main Street in Bucksport. The purpose of this advisory board is to provide a forum for effective community input to the station's board of directors about station programming, community service, and impact on the community. This meeting is open to the public. For more information, please email info at weru.org or call 469-6600 during weekday business hours. Listeners can email feedback to WERU anytime at info at weru.org. Have you been informed and inspired to action by a news public affairs program on WERU? Have you been energized and entertained by some great music you heard here? Have you learned about a wonderful local event from our community calendar? If Community Radio WRU helps keep you connected, comforted, inspired, or activated, please call 1-800-643-6273 right now to make your membership pledge. We need your support to keep the information and inspiration going. That's 1-800-643-6273 or pledge online at www.weru.com. Thanks. Never been touched. Boat Talk is brought to you in part by Captain Yo's Flaming Fish Performance Models, handmade miniature wooden sailing vessels, on the web at flamingfish.net, little ships for big kids. Support for Boat Talk also comes from Front Street Shipyard, a Midcoast, Maine boat building, repair, and storage facility located in Belfast. Front Street Shipyard on Penobscot Bay, offering dockage, service, and amenities for owners, captains, and crew. Online at frontstreetshipyard.com or 930-3740. The time's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's 10 o'clock in the morning time, uh, second Tuesday of the month, time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio. Um, Listener-sponsored sp- uh, Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. Around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is brought to you by your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And uh, Boat Talk is the only radio show on WERU where we can talk about pooping without being censored. It is um, uh, <laughs> our fundraising week also. If you would like to call in and make a contribution, there is a separate number. 1-800-643-6273 is the pledge phone. Or you can pledge at weru.org while you're listening. But if you'd like to call in and uh, have anything to contribute to Boat Talk, we have a call-in number. That is 1-866-625-9378. And we have a guest from uh, from up north with us today. John McDonald is here today. Good morning, John. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. 
And uh, let's start off with what's current, Mike. I was going back to pooping, Alan. Pooping. Well, I'd like to get around to that. You know? Yeah. We, we even start off with that. You, I know you like to read a lot. Have you read uh, Sir Francis Chichester? I'm sure you are familiar with him. Oh, uh, the gypsy moth. Gypsy he moth sailed guy. gypsy moth around the sea, yeah. yeah. Before he sailed. Yeah, this was back in the 60s. He was kind of an old school English fella. Yeah, definitely um, old yeah. school. He uh, followed the uh, the the, um, the way that was taken by clipper ships when they sailed around to Australia and then on back around the world to England. Uh, it's called the book that I'm reading of his is called Along the Clipper Way, where he before he did the actual voyage himself, he did a lot of research of other people who had been along that way, and he uh, puts together little snippets of, of stories that they've written of things that happened along the way, including being pooped. There's a very good, actually, description, probably two pages long, of uh, what it's like to be pooped in a clipper ship. Pooped, uh, to me, means uh, a falling sea kind of uh, falls on you, which I've had happen to me a time or two. In the old sailing ships, the head was up forward on the deck, and it was open to the weather, and you basically pooped overboard. Mm -hmm. In uh, fairly exposed conditions, the bow of the ship gets washed as much or more than any other part of the ship, so that's uh, good for business, too, but um, not a good place to hang out, you know, up to the head of the boat. Um, I guess I can tell this one. Uh, (laughs) And... and, and, uh, in the boat world, we get all these great uh, terms. We got uh, uh, breast lines, buttocks. Uh, you know, uh, uh, we're talking about the uh, uh, the poop of the uh, boat now. Well, uh, yeah, in this little uh, story, we learn that the opposite of pooping is scudding. Scudding's yes, good, yeah, good word. We like to tunk stuff down east, but you know, um, one of my great uh, sailing heroes, uh, Cap- Captain Hank Halstead. Now, Captain Hank is famous. We interviewed him on Boat Talk here. Um, Captain Hank is the fellow who sailed John Lennon to Bermuda in a storm on a uh, boat charter. And uh, it's a boat, uh, I'm sorry I can't call up the uh, uh, date that we have it on the uh, yeah, computer. Yeah, I can't either. But. Yeah, it's in, it's in the BoatTalk.org uh, uh, website uh, catalog there of podcasts. But anyway, our friend Captain Hank Halstead sailed John Lennon to Bermuda. Uh, they got in a storm. There was no autopilot. Hank got exhausted. Uh, uh, John had to sail the boat for a few hours on his own. And yeah, first time out there, first time at sea, really, f- ever. Yeah, claimed he couldn't do it because, of course, it, it looked ridiculous and, and uh, death-defying, but he did rise to the situation. He had the time of his life, and when he landed in Bermuda, songs poured out of him, yeah. and that was the uh, double fantasy record, the last one he made before he was uh, shot dead like um, 11 months later. So anyway, Captain Hank Halstead had... Uh, was headed to Bermuda on a delivery one time, and we stopped in Newport and had him had him on the boat for dinner, and um, we talked um, about uh, among other things safety at sea. Now, one thing you don't want to um, um, do is on a boat delivery, for instance, um, uh, pee off the back rail in the night and fall overboard while your buddies are sleeping and the autopilot drives the boat away from you and, and you think, well, should I close my fly for when they find me, you know? And uh, <laughs> that's a not... a lot of them that are not. <laughs> and it's happened to more than a couple people, okay? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you don't want that to happen to you. Um, Captain Hank introduced the uh, concept of the back rail being uh, the, quote, poop rail and ruined it for one of my crew members and... and uh, it makes a mess back there. It's not the head of the boat. It doesn't get washed as much. And mm. so anyway, it ain't proper. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It can be very dangerous for some of the uh, 
the old clipper ships getting pooped because when all that weight would fall on their aft deck, it just took all the momentum right away from the boat, and it was more or less dead in the water, which you don't want to be in uh, big winds and waves. Alan, we were in a Force 10 gale. We were um, uh, coming uh, towards Bermuda, I believe, and uh, Hinkley 50, and there's probably 30-foot uh, seas, okay, and they're fluorescent blue. I mean, it's just fantastic uh, uh, sight, and they're breaking on the top, and every once in a while uh, one falls on you, and I had one break on on the boat from behind and, and basically filled the Hinkley 50 level with the cockpit Comans. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I thought, I was standing waist deep in this, and the boat's staggered by this. Got to shed all this water pretty quick, but we're still going. And uh, first thing I thought was, warm. <laughs> it's warm. <laughs> it's warm. Well, I'm going to die comfortably. <laughs> it's warm, I thought to myself, and laughed, you know, mm-hmm. and otherwise, uh, yeah, you don't want them things pooping you. Yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, in the news this, this um, uh, month, uh, I've uh, been gone for a little while, and while I was gone, I uh, was waiting for uh, weather to deliver a boat. It was down in North Carolina trying to get a boat around uh, Cape Hatteras back to Northeast Harbor here, and we had to wait for that hurricane that came by, Joaquin, I believe it was. And, yes, it was, uh, yes. I, I told this, the uh, very outlines of your story in the last show, uh, and also the uh, a little crew trouble you had, too. Can't tell the good parts, Alan. <laughs> yeah. Can't tell does it, the good does it parts. Does it pooping? No. Yeah. So anyway, um, anyway, we had to wait out that storm. And uh, while we're waiting it out, we're watching the Alfaro, um, you know, thing on the news there. And, of course, uh, uh, great loss of life. Um, also, a U.S. flag vessel, which is kind of interesting. There aren't a lot of U.S. flag freight- freighters. The latest I've heard on that was that the... Uh, Sent down a ROV and discovered that the uh, the whole uh, nav section of the boat is missing, which includes the uh, the data recorder. They can't find the whole steering section of or the where the helms the bridge you the say. bridge more or less yeah. yeah they call it the nav section but the yeah. bridge yeah is missing and they can't find it. Um, in my view, they they probably did uh, uh, nothing horrible by by uh, sticking to their business and going out there. What happened to them was their engine stopped, and that that uh, that decided their fate. Which uh, they had no maneuvering power, and they got in front of that storm. And again, um, you end up sideways to the seas, and nothing good can happen after that. You can't sail that big freighter um, in any way, shape, or form. You can't, I don't think, send out sea anchors or anything like that. And, um, once you're sideways to the seas, um, nothing good can happen. And reading in the uh, Fisherman's News here about, uh, you know, analyzing the disaster and talking how they found a life raft that was a lifeboat that was not connected to the boat anymore, and, and those things are very well attached. They don't get off on their own. So perhaps they tried to launch that in 100 knots plus a wind mm-hmm. sideways to the seas. Well, there was, I believe, one, one uh, per- person found aboard that lifeboat but at the time, they were so busy looking for live people that they let him go, and, and then he was not found later. And again, um, the uh, job of the shipping company is to provide a decent ship for people to work in and go about their business. So the question is, is the, uh, were they sent out there in the ship with a, a bum engine? Or did they have some bad luck? There are going to be uh, lawyers uh, probably... And, 
numbering thousands involved with this by the yep. time they're done. And these tragedies, too, have a, um, again, uh, it'll start with one thing, and that's cascading failures, you know. Unintended consequences on top of uh, first thing that goes bad uh, just keep coming, and that's how these things unfold, uh, you know, will start uh, fairly innocently enough. And, again, losing your engine there, you know, uh, in the storm, not good. As opposed to we talked uh, previously about the HMS Bounty replica that went out in front of the hurricane and sank. Yeah. Yeah. Now, was that a good decision or not? Um, that fellow had a, a boat that was known to be rotten. Yeah. That was not a good decision. And that boat was not... not poorly uh, caulked. Yeah. And again, the boat was not up to it, and everybody, uh, a lot of people could have told you that. So, um, But it wasn't the same thing as this freighter on its regular run to Puerto Rico losing its engine. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, our friend here, John McDonald, uh, has been involved with search and rescue. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. But John's, uh, we're going to get to uh, John's, uh, what would you call it, resume in a couple minutes here. He's a fairly interesting fellow. Canadian, eh? Yes, sir. Yes. And, uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about something in between uh, here in, in Canada, too, is the Gulf of Maine. And, and uh, it's been in the news lately. And the story is not real great. It's kind of, we got some bragging rights. Maine has moved. Up the ladder in uh, U.S. fishery uh, landing values, we're now number two. Moved up uh, past Massachusetts. Ah. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yahoo. Right. Well, I'm not sure whether we moved up or Massachusetts. Massachusetts moved down, baby. Down. Yes, that's what happened. <laughs> and uh, it's all about uh, water warming, and codfish don't like warm water. Mm. And so... Uh, shrimp don't either. The cod are way down, so are the shrimp. Um, the herring season is um, was scheduled to be three months going right now. Okay, started uh, uh, what first of October, and um, they caught almost all the herring immediately. So they've shut it down, and uh, what was going to be the rest of the year herring season shut down. On the coast of Maine, the summer, if you had fresh herring for bait, you could basically name your price. I'm told, um, and again, it's the favorite bait for um, uh, lobster fisheries, which is the largest value of landings that we have to Trump, Massachusetts, whose lobster fishery has gone to hell, but so is their cod fishery, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so here's a t statistic that um, is kind of unfortunate that uh, it turns out that the Gulf of Maine is warming faster than almost any body of uh, water on the earth. Remember our uh, jellyfish guest we had on a few, year, few, few months ago? Yeah. Dr. Um, Record. Nick Record. From the uh, Bigelow yeah. Laboratory does, in uh, Booth Bay, Maine. Yes. at Bigelow. And he said it was uh, warming at four times the rate of the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. That's scary. And the Gulf of Maine, people don't always appreciate this. If you look on a map, it looks like a big open dish facing the ocean, but it's a very um, unique body of water. It has two sea mountains in, in the mouth of it. Mm -hmm. So while it looks open um, to the ocean, it's sort of not. And the George's Bank would be uh, one of the biggest, uh, uh, the big seamount out there. And, and again, things like the um, uh, currents that come and go influence the fisheries as well. The uh, shrimp, uh, there's a large, for instance, so we've talked about it on Boat Talk before, there's a large North Atlantic shrimp population. There's a separate Gulf of Maine shrimp population that is overfished at the present time. If it goes away... The North Atlantic ones are probably not going to swim into the Gulf of Maine. Mm -hmm. It's kind of it's against the current forum. It's just you know, it's not natural for them. And again, uh, you know, it has some unique geography. The Gulf of Maine is uh, uh, warming faster than almost anybody of water on Earth. Congratulations! Yeah. <laughs> 
And the, so the uh, fisheries people are arguing about it, but they're not arguing about the water uh, temperature. That's, that's not the argument. They're arguing about well, how many cod there are. Um, which is arguable, but access, yes, yeah, um, but no, they're not arguing about the temperature data at all, and um, so yes, congratulations for us, ain't we special? And uh, the question is, how will that affect the lobster fishery in the future in in the state of Maine? It has been moving steadily north and east um, as boat deliver. Years past, um, you know, a Buzzards Bay was all full of lobster gear, uh, Rhode Island Sound, and now it's not. Uh, Long Island Sound, same thing. Uh, very, very seldom do you see that stuff now. And the question is, um, when it uh, comes this way, where it, and again, John's from Nova Scotia, and that's where the lobsters will be headed when they retreat in, in the face of the warm water. And we um, appreciate you sending them up our way. We uh, send them <laughs> down there to be processed as well, but that's a whole different thing about con- con- uh, conservation and uh, 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 keeping the... Uh, we serve lobsters live uh, in the shell, so we know whether it's not a female with eggs on it, for instance. Once you cut up a lobster, you don't know where the meat came from. So, sure. So we've never had a great uh, lobster processing industry in the state of Maine. The joke is we send them all down to you folks. And we're, we do have a very large uh, lobster industry down there, and it's uh, robust. But getting back to the cod, I was reading last week that our cod are on the rise again, and the sizes are coming in larger now. Hmm. Uh, we had a basic moratorium on the cod for a long, a lot of years, to uh, allow them to come back. And the evidence is now that they are coming back, but they're a little further north. Yeah. Well, um, I was I was down there in the mid '80s when they were doing the cod moratorium in Newfoundland. Talk about upsetting people. Oh yeah, they shut down basically their entire infrastructure on that, and uh, a lot of those guys ended up working on the oil patch. Uh, you've got to feed your family. Well, and you said the word infrastructure there, too. Um, you can't really suspend a fishery uh, very efficiently. Uh, boats don't sit around very well. Um, plants don't sit around. Uh, you know, um, again, uh, infrastructure is uh, the families involved. Got to find something else to do. This is true. And I think what we're seeing now is a lot of the family-owned canneries and a lot of the family-owned fishing businesses are now uh, being owned by uh, corporations because they had deeper pockets on startup, and the families just weren't interested in going through that again, I think, is uh, is part of it. Yeah, and uh, honestly, uh, fisheries are oil. I mean, let's not be silly. <laughs> well, oil's, oil's not doing so well either right now. I suppose you're right there, and um, I, uh, when I said that, I thought, oh, but, but uh, fisheries got all the romance on it, and then I slapped myself again and tried not to say anything about it, but, you know, um, yeah, that's uh, probably a trick no matter which way you go. Anyway, we are doing Boat Talk this morning. It is the uh, fundraising edition, Funathon, we call it. And Joseph from Northport called. He's uh, renewed his membership. He's been on board since the beginning. That's, uh, I think, I think that Joseph's, Joseph's <coughs> fun. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. good one, though. I'm glad he's on board. Yeah. Could I tell you something, Alan? i tell you a little story from uh, when I was away on this uh, last boat delivery here. We, um, again, uh, went down to... Um, uh, Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, Cape Fear, uh, south of Cape Hatteras, the last uh, southern corner of North Carolina. Where they made the movie. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, nice nice spot. Uh, yeah. People are nice. It's a nice spot. So anyway, um, it's on the intercoastal waterway, and for the uh, first little bit, we were tied to a fuel dock um, adjacent to the fuel dock 
on a major stop on the intercoastal waterway and you want to talk about interesting place to hang out and watch people come and go, especially a bunch of people with maple leaves headed south on their boats, you know, and uh, a bunch of characters. Boy, you could uh, just sit there with the Boat Talk microphone and, and have full-time entertainment with that. There were a couple of great people went by. Um, there was one fellow single-handing a 40, this is about a 48-foot schooner with the biggest bowsprit I've ever seen in my life on anything. Um, he had single-handed it from Duluth, Minnesota without an autopilot. Wow. That's a lot of work. And as he says, well, I'm a little beat up here. I says, yeah, yeah I can see you're all scratched. And, uh, you know, you you're, uh, got scabs and scratches all over here. You have both been fighting. and uh, But, yeah, you talk about a strong little tourist. Man. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I met some, met some great characters. Uh, I really did. So, um, uh, yes, uh, we were down to Carolina Beach now. Where did I start with that one? Um, you were talking about Cape Fear and the yeah. Oh, geez. The rain. Uh, so anyway, it'll come back to me in a minute. But anyway, um, oh, uh, uh oh, started on the fuel dock and then, yeah, no, we got to see all these great people coming and going. Anyway, uh, we got to come north and uh, we had to wait out weather there, and then we had uh, people problems as well, and uh, had to find a crew down south. I had to I had to find a crew of strangers down south, and uh, boys that never been north at all, and and uh, get them to sail back to, to Northeast Harbor, Maine in October, mm -hmm. and we really had uh, excellent weather. The boat was an Able 50 designed by Chuck Payne, and it was designed for a fellow to sail around the world, which it uh, sort of did. And um, you talk about an Able an Able vessel, a heavy full keel boat that just said to the water, "Get out of the way." I mean, it was magnificent uh, sea boat. We had the wind mostly behind us too. It was. Uh, uh, an extraordinary, uh, for October, it was an extraordinary good ride up the coast. So anyway, I'm not sure whose phone ringing. I'm yeah, hoping I, it's I, not mine, no. but yeah, don't oh, matter a bit anyway. Okay. <laughs> and w let's tell people that, again, we have a phone number here and also a phone number for uh, people to contribute to. Okay. Um, if you'd like to call into Boat Talk, the number to call is one 625 9378 and our pledge line <clears throat> is 1-800-643-6273. Now, honest to God, I lost, um, I was going to tell you a little delivery story there, and I, I sort of lost it, but I, I can tell you another one. There are a couple of great radio calls this summer. Uh, we have the VHF radio on all the time and talk to other vessels, particularly uh, tugboats that are coming, uh, you know, passing us and such. We speak to them as they go by, ships, you know, make sure we're all clear on who's passing who. And uh, so there are a couple of great radio calls this summer. Um, earlier this summer, I was um, on watch and I was entering um, Long Island Sound. And there's three ways to get in there. Um, watch Hill is up on the Rhode Island shore. The race is the middle uh, entry to Long Island Sound on, on our end here. And then there's uh, Plum Gut, which is further out to sea. And uh, most people go through the race, and you have to time the tide there so mm -hmm. the tide's not against you and you're not fighting the current. And, again, I'm coming up on this at dawn. It's a boat with no radar, and it's foggy, and I can't tell how far I can see because I, I don't have anything to look at. I can't tell how foggy it is. And I'm listening to the radio, and there's a lot of confusion on the radio. There's uh, two tugboats uh, with, with barges and a, um, uh, two sailboats and a powerboat at the race, and they're all confused about who is, who is who, who's behind who. And at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, uh, 
is anybody in front of me? So I put out a call saying, you know, I'm, I'm about to enter Plum Gut. Um, you know, anybody out there coming this way in an interested vessel. And a call comes back. He says, uh, Coast Guard, Coast Guard's vessel, uh, Elizabeth, uh, somebody, and um, uh, need assistance. Uh, I'm on the Montauk breakwater. And the uh, Coast Guard comes back, and, and the guy is actually on the Montauk breakwater. <laughs> the Coast Guard, uh, in, the, in the fog, I mean, thick of fog, he's on the Montauk breakwater. And the Coast Guard comes back and says, sir, are you, uh, you know, leaking fluids or anything? And, and uh, the guy says, well, uh, let me get back to you in a minute. Coast Guard says, uh, sir, uh, you know, Elizabeth, whoever, what was your situation? Uh, over. And the guy comes back, uneffing believable, over. And the Coast Guard lady didn't miss a beat. She says, sir, is your vessel, uh, is the hull uh, still, uh, you know, uh, whole? And are you leaking fluids at this time? Are you wearing your life jacket? Do you have an anchor out? <laughs> and she didn't miss a beat on that. And you don't hear that much on the radio. Uneffing believable, over. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of uneffing uh, believable, we were uh, coming up um, uh, the coast of New Jersey on this last trip. And there was a fishing vessel uh, loitering up in front of us, and they didn't seem to be uh, going this way or that. And um, they were up front of us for a fair while, and I'm watching them. And we finally get by them, and I hear a call on the radio, and the captain of the um, um, fishing vessel that called the Coast Guard had a strange tone in his voice. So I went down and sat next to the radio. When he gave his position, I noticed it was right next to me. It was the fishing vessel I just went by. And uh, they switched up to Channel 22, and with a big size, he says, look, he says, um, I went down to wake one of my crew members, and his face is black, he's cold as ice, and he's stiff as a board. My crew member is dead. What do you uh, recommend that I do? Over. You know? And the Coast Guard uh, says, wait one, and comes back and says, uh, sir, do you, have you taken a pulse of your crew member? And the guy was just exasperated. He says, look, he says, his face is black. He's cold as ice. He's, he's in rigor mortis. He's very dead. <laughs> and they brought him into uh, Barnegat Bay. They sent out a, uh, a guide to bring him into Barnegat Inlet there in New Jersey. And, and again, how long was that fellow dead uh, to be black, cold, and stiff? So mm-hmm. Probably at least eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, good entertainment on the radio going up and down the coast. We don't have all that uh, much drama on the radio down east here, but, you know. Not too much, no. It's... No. It's not used as much. There's not as much traffic. I remember the old marine radio they used to have out of Camden. You'd hear a lot of people thinking it was just like a regular telephone that nobody else was listening, and you get some pretty strange personal conversations going on sometimes. Well, it was the telephone back in the day, the Camden Marine Operator. If you were on your boat, you could use your VHF radio to make a telephone call. to anybody in America. Mm-hmm. Phone patch. Yes, but the the uh, catch was that anybody with a VHF radio could listen to David Rockefeller, for instance, call the office. Uh, no cell phones back in those days. And the Camden Marine operator, uh, you know, there's great stories about the uh, legendary. Uh, there's probably some books out about oh, that. Oh, I believe there is, yeah. So uh, anyway. So we're about halfway through Boat Talk. Uh, we're going to flip over here now to the... Uh, on-air studio to uh, talk about pledge raising on community radio. 1-800-643-6273. This is Amy Brown here with Joel Mann. And uh, we're encouraging you to call in during Boat Talk. And it's easier for us to brag about Boat Talk and say how great they are. These guys don't like to talk about themselves. Have you noticed that? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but I, this show is like really one of the things that makes community radio it unique. It really is. You it know. really is. 1-800-643-6273 and that uniqueness. It takes some... These guys got to come in here every month with a topic that they love to talk about boats. They, they're knowledgeable about boats, about what's going on out there on the water. And it's just part of our heritage here in Downey's community that we should be talking about boats. So right, right. It's, a, it's a great program. We just want to come on right now real quickly and urge you to call. In this short little time, we're going to take away from Boat Talk 1-800-643-643. 6273. We need to light up a couple lights over there, That's Amy. Right. We, we need, need to see, see this that phone, phone. Light up. You, you appreciate it. You listen to it. You look forward to it. Now's the time to show that support. Right. Uh, and, you know, you hear a lot, especially during Pledge Drive. Where else are you going to hear this? Where else are you going to hear that? This is truly one of those things that you're not going to hear anywhere else. If you are here in the summertime and you go back home and you want to taste of Maine, you can tune in during Boat Talk. And even people who don't know anything about boats tell us they love this show. Absolutely. And they call in regularly. I mean, what do they, what do they talk about right. in the wintertime? Well, they talk <laughs> about sailing on the ice. That's what they talk about. Oh, oh we got one here. Uh, All right. All right. Awesome. see that phone line light up again, though. 1-800-643-6273. Big thank you going out to Roger and Peggy in Ellsworth. They called 1-800-643-6273. It's great to show your support for the station. It's great to show your support for the individual programming, the unique programming. And this is one of the most unique programs that we have here. We have two guys who know what they're talking about. They know the area. They know the people. And they bring them to you in such a great way every month on this Tuesday. 1-800-643-6273. A couple more lights on that phone over there, and and we'll get back to the boys here. turn it back over to the flounder. Uh, We've got Alan, who is the punster in there, and Mike is uh, sort of the historian. And between the two of them, they definitely keep this hour going each month. (laughs) 1-800-643-6273. We're going to... Why don't we give them back their show? All right. Yeah, good, we'll good. watch for the Thanks, phone guys. to light up. We want to hear from you. Thank we'll you. Call one 800 And back over to Mike and Alan in the on, in the uh, studio. Alan, on, honestly, uh, we do this program fairly casually, you and I. <laughs> to to put it mildly, fairly <laughs> would be, a, yeah, it's a, quite an adjective. Uh, we, uh, yeah, approach it uh, fairly low-key. We forget people are listening sometimes, buddy. Yeah, and we forget, too, that people are listening sometimes in the future. This is what always boggles oh my boy. mind. We're talking about the podcast that people will listen to while they're taking the train into their day job or whatever. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. Now, we're, we're bringing this Able 50 North from North Carolina, and we get uh, to Sandy Hook, New Jersey, three days at sea from uh, Cape Fear, New, uh, North Carolina, to uh, New York City, okay? And uh, we have to um, – we get there very late in the afternoon – and we want to stay overnight and wait for the tide in the morning. We can't go against the tide up the East River through the, through New York City. So we're going to stay at the marina in, in Sandy Hook for the night. And we come around the breakwater. We pick up a mooring. And uh, before uh, anything passes, a motor launch comes up, and the fellow says, you can't have that mooring there. I said, why? He says, it's not mine. I can't rent it to you. I said, but I like it. He says, I want you to follow me and come. I want to rent you a different one. I said, must I? He says, yes, follow me. I did. So we went and, re- and uh, grabbed this other mooring. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, okay, uh, 20 bucks, 40 bucks probably anyway. Uh, I said, you know, what's this mooring for? He says, $50. And I turned my head and, and uh, turned away from him. He said, what? And I, I turned back, says, not my money. Handed him 50 bucks. 
And he cocked his head and he says, do you know anything about public radio? And I cocked my head and I said, that's a strange question because I, I do community radio at home. And he looked at me and he says, you're the, are you the punny one or the other one? You're on that boat program, aren't you? <laughs> Where is this? Captain Dennis. Sandy Hook, New Sandy Jersey. Sandy Hook, New Jersey yeah. Yacht Club. Um, huh. Atlantic Highlands uh, uh, Marina there. And uh, Cap Captain Dennis Lang is one of our biggest fans. He found it on the Internet, okay? Recognized me by my voice, um, fussing with him about the mooring there, and uh, asked me if I was the punny one. Well, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't take credit for that. <laughs> oh, I can't. I couldn't. I, I can. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can recognize a pun, but boy, um, he asked after Yosarian. Hmm. He knows the raw face story. He owns the movie. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm telling you, people are listening out there, Alan. We got. He was also my best friend in Sandy Hook, which was very nice. He brought out chili for us. Ooh. I fed to the boys. It was a uh, uh, very uh, had uh, the red meat that I don't like, but. Uh, yeah. And it was awful, awful hot. <laughs> Got served in the Cape Cod Canal. And uh, came back out just to hang out. And uh, Captain Dennis Lang from Sandy Hook, New Jersey there again. Uh, boat talk listener. We forget people are listening sometimes. So, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Now, let's talk to uh, John McDonnell here yeah. we got in this morning. Um, John, you're a Canadian, eh? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, just retired from the Canadian Forces. Tell, tell us about your career. Uh, I re actually retired in 2008, um, to your chagrin. <laughs> John's younger than I am. I, uh, I started out in the Army and did about uh, eight years Army and then uh, graduated over to the Air Force and nicer hotels, better accommodations. <laughs> so I, uh, I was a photographer, I was a field engineer, and uh, I ended my career as a uh, sensor operator on P3s. We call it the Aurora. And all over the world... A lot of search and rescues, a lot of uh, maritime overwatch. We like need that. to uh, explain a little further what a <coughs> sensor operator on a P3 is. P3 is a propeller-driven. It's a large four-engine plane, yeah. um, uh, 11,000 shaft horsepower on each engine, actually. It's a Ooh. turboprop, which means when you slap those throttles, they uh, instant power because it just angles the uh, pitch on the on the propellers. So <laughs> it's a very good plane for getting you out of trouble uh, if you're down low. You, you really can't even hold the nose down when you when you push those throttles up. So we did a lot of uh, Cold War stuff, uh, hunting submarines, whatnot. But we we did a lot of over cold water work too. And as a sensor operator, I'm I'm operating the radar. Some guys are doing the sonar, acoustics, listening for submarines, for example, or doing active sonar, trying to. Do you, do you actually have a, a wire trail to some sort of a? Well, we drop sonar boys into the ocean. And they transmit. And you command them to go down to different depths, and they listen or they transmit. Uh, and they would, we'd put out like a bathosphere, which goes down, tells you the ambient sea temperatures at different uh, depths. And uh, the subs like to hide under that. So we would know where that was, and we'd, we'd command our, our sonar boys to go mm -hmm. down below that and listen for them. And there's a, it's a whole science towards it. And, we're uh, we're very very good at it in Canada, and we're still very good at it. And this probably is still going on all the time now. It is. It yeah. is. And uh, got to be Russian submarines because <laughs> you wouldn't worry about ours. Well, uh, we're your buddies. You guys didn't like it when we played with you guys on uh, exercises because you try to keep everything as as compartmentalized as possible. But we're very good allies, and we worked as a team all over the world with uh, the U.S. Um, I spent quite a few years in. American bases, uh, Thule in uh, Greenland, in Iceland, 
Uh, we're in Scotland quite a bit, deployed there looking for them. But the uh, we we would do the radar, the sonar, electronic warfare, a thing called MAD, which is a magnetic anomaly detection. So you fly over a large chunk of metal in the ocean, mm-hmm. a sub hopefully, mm-hmm. and uh, it would give a shake trace uh, because you're lined up with the Earth's magnetic field. So anything that disturbs that lineup would would give you an indication that you're on top of the sub. So it uh, it was a very interesting career. I asked you yesterday, we were doing a boat delivery years ago on a Morris Day sailor coming uh, this way across the Gulf of Maine, and we had uh, P-3 Orions at the uh, Brunswick Naval Air Station for years, and um, this P-3 uh, Orion, again, a big uh, four-engine prop plane, low and slow, came flying up behind us and spent the afternoon, made a dozen runs uh, up our wake and come make a big circle and go by again. and and waved to us the last time. We were looking right sideways at the fellows, basically, as they we used flew to, by. We used to warn <laughs> or ask the boat if they minded if we participated. Yeah. Uh, but you always tried to give a warning because that plane coming up on top of you at 100 or 200 feet scares the living stuff out of you. <laughs> it was a... Pooping it, again. <laughs> you know, it was a uh, very mild afternoon. It was it was a good entertainment for all of us is the way we looked at it, so... The guys in the tube are blind. They're not seeing that boat, so the the TAC nav would probably line it up, say, here's your contact, localize it, yeah. pretend it's a submarine. It's sure. To, sure, the frequencies are all different, things like that, but it doesn't matter if it's on top of the water or down below. It's, yeah. it's sound, yeah. and that's how they're they're acquiring and localizing. And so it's just good practice. And speaking of Canada, the uh, water's warming and Northwest Passage is coming into play nowadays. It's uh, starting to be open water and, again, strategic, um, you know, um, strategic water. And, and, again, borders with them Russian people who are kind of flexing their muscles nowadays. Seems to be a lot going on up there. Our our previous uh, prime minister, who's just stepping out of office now, was uh, making it a high priority on his his agenda. we don't have a huge military budget, but I think they, they know they have to address this if, uh, if if we're not up there, somebody else will walk in. And, there and, are a uh, lot of countries making icebreakers right now. Yeah, that's true. And you guys actually have a very big interest up there, too. But it, it's uh, the resources that are up there are going to be exposed soon that they can get at them. Um, it was probably prohibitively expensive to when it was a lot of ice. And also the traffic for merchant, they can cut the corner now and save a lot of money going through there. Um, it's it's going to need to be policed. It's going to need to be oh, yeah. protected. Um, you uh, say all these key words like infrastructure and uh, resources, yeah, and, and yeah, it's huge. So, um, um, And again, you've also been deployed a little bit on the, uh, let's call it the war on terror. You've been to uh, Afghanistan a time or two. Uh, it's, uh, yeah... Somalia, did you mention? Nice spot to hang out in? 14 tours, I think I had total. Um, 14. Just, I mean, you don't go to the good places. You know, it, it's... <laughs> yeah. It, uh, Oversee happy people. No, you, do, you just don't see the good places, bottom line. I, I had some... My favorite place in the world to go is Scotland. It's very similar to where I grew up in Cape Breton Island. And, yeah. Uh, the people are friendly. They like to drink. The sheep are attractive. There you go. It's, it's <laughs> they all... They love right. sailors. <laughs> No, it's, it was a good place. Um, yeah. I, I've I've been to Curacao, you know, I, I've been all over. But uh, you pick your favorites of, of the places you go. But uh, the Middle East is not one of my favorites. And had to learn that the hard way. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Now, John, uh, you know, you've retired and you've got to look for something to do when you're, uh, you know, afterlife here, let's call it, because you're still kind of young. And uh, you've taken up boating with a uh, fair passion. Well, my uh, my income, I'm actually kind of back to work now because I can't afford these boats without without some extra income. So I'm hauling boats for a local fella and it's uh, it's more a hobby i guess but it's an expensive hobby i'm finding mm. and uh, as you know my story i brought this boat up from uh, Groton, connecticut i had help as far as rockland and uh, we had shaken it down really hard the first the first day so we made gloucester the first day well explain uh, what kind of boat you uh, have found and how you found it and where you, where you found it uh. i found it on craigslist i was looking fairly hard i wanted to buy something now because as you know, the fall is the best time to get deals on boats. So I found this, talked to the owner. He sounded okay on the phone, and uh, so I, I made the trip down. It's a 34 Silverton, twin diesels, slightly underpowered. It's only got 165 uh, Volvo Pentas in it. I don't know a lot about diesels, uh, but I'm expecting I'm about to learn. <laughs> yeah. So we shook it hard the, the first day. Um, the boat normally operates maximum 3,600 RPM. We were running at about 3,400 just because if it's going to break down, we wanted it to break down along the coast and not on the way to Yarmouth. So sure enough, coming out of Gloucester, it broke down. The, the flywheel, the, the uh, harmonic balancer on the port engine basically flew off. And uh, so we shut that engine down. As soon as I saw the temperature spike, I knew that. So I shut it down and my friend Dave uh, Leach from uh, Winslow actually he's an electrician and a, and a good diesel mechanic he's been on the water all his life went downstairs and he uh, he MacGyvered it a fair bit with some uh, duct tape of all things <laughs> of and it actually ran for about two more hours and we kept it low at about 2,000 but the balance was off so it, it flew apart again so we limped for about 14 hours at seven knots and again you've got two engines it's like having a four propeller airplane you're uh -huh. not you're still going seven knots uh eight foot seas on the quarter on the starboard quarter all the way in not fun into but you're still going yeah well i'm learning and, yeah. you know I, I looked at dave he wasn't worried so i wasn't worried and that's how i look at life basically um so we i, I left it in uh, rockland they repaired it uh my visa card's quite dented now <laughs> and then i decided i'm going to bring it home alone because i Nobody was foolish enough to come with me. Probably a good thing you brought Dave instead of the wife to start off, you know. Oh, I wouldn't be married. Yeah. For, for sure. Yeah. She would have said, I'm getting off. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get to her part in the stream in a while, but, you know. So yeah. anyway, got her from Connecticut to Rockland with a little bit of adventure and, and difficulty. Yeah. yeah, and I waited. Uh, I, I went back home, and uh, I waited until it was fixed, and they swore it's good. But, yeah, it's a boat. It can still break, as you know. And I decided I'm going to go alone. I made the decision. And uh, so I brought it from Rockland to Southwest Harbor uh, Sunday. And I didn't check the weather as good as I should have. It was a gusty day. It was, uh, I, I believe it was hitting 50 in the uh, the bay before that inlet. You'd have to tell me what. You go mean. through the Fox Island from Rockland yes. uh, across the bay to uh, North Haven, Vinyl Haven, the Fox Island thoroughfare. And, and then you uh, head across the bay towards Stonington through the uh, thoroughfare there, and then you head uh, up in a, uh, to the end of Mount Desert Island is the route you yeah, would take. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And the waves weren't that big. I mean, there was a little bit of roller. The frequency was quite close. But the wind, 
the uh, cockpit in this boat has canvas all around and isling glass. A flying bridge, yes. It was a sail. Yeah. And it was pushing me right over on my side. And I was just kind of, I was laughing because I got myself into it. And I was thinking, how far does this boat go before it doesn't come back? <laughs> so I was, uh, my hair probably took a few more grays into it on this trip. One thing we like to say on Boat Talk is uh, you've got to earn experience. You can't fake it. Now, we also like to ask people, what happened to you when you were young messed you up about boats? Do you, did you uh, grow up around boats? Uh, lake boats, really. I, I, I didn't spend a lot of time, even though I grew up in Cape Breton Island, I didn't spend a lot of time on the ocean. Uh, I always looked at it like a big, mysterious thing and thought fishermen were really brave. And, and I, I still think that, actually, to go out there every single day and earn your living and it's, it's always a bit of a dice roll, I, I think, just because of the weather. Well, one thing that um, in this book by Chichester that I'm reading called uh, Along the Clipper Way, he points out that of all the places on the earth, the one known most for giant squids is off the coast of Nova Scotia. So, yeah, I think I, I would agree with you. I just kind of watch, watch it from land. Um, interesting stories in that book. Yeah. Now, John, uh, again, is, is uh, taken to boating, and as I'm calling it, his afterlife here, his second act, uh, let's call it that way, you know. Um, and um, I'm trying to find out what it is that uh, uh, has got him going on it. John, you worked in the military. You work um, as part of a big team in the military. You're part of, uh, you know, a lot of people. This is true. Yeah. Uh, but inherently, I am a bit of a loner. When you're out on that boat and the engine's not behaving, the harmonic balancer is, is uh, needs duct taping and stuff. You haven't, you can't call the colonel, no, and the the supply officer and stuff. You're out there by yourself. The learning curve's steep, I believe, and uh, there's not a lot of forgiveness, which is why uh, I, I kind of like that. It's, it's good, honest learning, though, as long as you're again uh, not drowning, um, you know. Um, and again, uh, if it was easy, uh, it wouldn't be probably as rewarding, we like to think. Well, I think a, a good percentage of the people that know me think I'm absolutely crazy for attempting what I just did. And I was going to take it all the way to Yarmouth and then around Cape Sable into uh, Mahone Bay. That's where I'm ultimately ending this trip. And, uh, well, I scared myself pretty good the other day, which is why you got a call. I'll end up taking it to Nova Scotia, yes. There we go. So, yeah, it'll all end well. Which is how we met. Yeah. But, again, um, I'm fascinated by your uh, new boat navigation. Uh, Again, uh, you're married. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. What's your wife like to do for fun? Uh, Not boating. (laughs) Really. Yeah, she's very family-orientated. We've got a couple grandsons now, two kids, and... uh, She's she's a people person, not a boating person. She she tolerates my uh, my hobby basically. I think is what it is. I'm thinking she will enjoy it on a sheltered bay. You have to make it easy and pleasurable for her. Well, it's it's got to be clean. I'll, I'll I'll get her into it by asking her to decorate. Yep, is what I think. Uh, yep, and then Blue she'll take an oh yeah, she'll take an interest then. Yep, make it her own. Uh, this powerboat has a nice little galley. Um, you're going to have to uh, make sure, that, again, that she can operate uh, uh, her electric appliances in there in any conditions, you know, and uh, make her happy. And, and uh, it's camp, you know. Oh, yeah. But it's not bad camping is what I like to say. Boating's not bad camping. It's a portable camp. I, I like sleeping on the boat. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's, it, it's been a great experience so far. Yeah. It, you, make it, you make it all your own is what you do. And uh, it's very comfortable. The heater works, which is good. I did buy an extra blanket or two because uh, in, in um, Rockland, the first night I was there, the uh, shore power tripped off. 
um, the circuit breaker actually on the shore power. So you have electric heat. Yeah, electric heat, yeah. and uh, I was pretty cold waking up that morning. But uh, other than that, minor experiences, it's, it's all a learning curve, like we were talking about, and the only way to learn is get out and do it. Yeah. Uh, again, you've got to pile up that experience. You need to learn from the uh, mistakes of other people. As we like to say, you don't have enough time or lives to make all those mistakes yourself. This is true. Yeah. Um, but again, you've got, you've got to go out and do, and, and that's the only way you know um, whether you're in a good situation or a bad situation. Uh, you know, you have to have... <laughs> experience to have judgment to, you know, even know when things are good or bad, let alone, as uh, old Dutchman said to me, um, you can call yourself whatever you say you are if you don't get in much trouble and then can get out of any trouble you got yourself into, you know, and again, takes a lot of experience. um, um, And then there's the Coast Guard, uh, you can call in the background too, uh, you know, so there is uh, usually an out. That's usually a last ditch just based on personal pride. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which has probably killed quite a few people, personal pride. Yeah. Um, I thought about calling on Sunday and just asking, you know, is, is this weather going to be all the way? <laughs> and I thought, well, no, I'm committed because I had actually turned the boat twice and I took it on the teeth on, on one turn and I went, no, I can't go back that way. That's even worse, which I was, it surprised me. I thought going into the waves might be uh, a little bit of a better ride, <clears throat> but, uh, I went, well, no, I'm committed. I've got to keep going. And I started learning how to, how to roll the boat in anticipation <coughs> of those gusts. Ah. So it, uh, it's a lot of steering. There's no autopilot on this boat, as you know, and yet there will be one. But uh, anticipating the waves. I and guess again, it's not a sailboat, but there it was sailing along. Oh, it pushed me right over. I, I was probably 55, 60 degrees over twice. Whoa. And I think my flag was in the water. Yeah. yeah. This mm-hmm. one you want to make sure all of your drawers and doors are shut and secured. No, you? they were all on the starboard floor when I got uh, down below. Yeah. And the couch. Yep. It's amazing uh, what a mess can happen, how quickly. We are doing boat talk this morning. They let us uh, come in and talk about boats once a month. Uh, we like to joke, splish and splash, not nearly as funny as click and clack, but uh, they're not with us anymore either, so there. Yeah. And uh, we have a. Uh, uh, a, a renewal from Richard in Harrington calls up and Botox talk a little note with it says he usually places on high in a mountain or a, a great uh, well like I won't call it bluegrass but a acoustic uh, mountain music on Saturdays but he wanted to support boat talk this time and said he needs boat talk to help make it through the winter because he's a sailing he has sailing deficit disorder. And he uses boat talk in the winter to help him through that. And he, uh, we were on the subject of boats, but he recommends F- Flotsam and Jetsam by Rob White. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, not sure either, but we will note it and check it out. We're always interested to read anything yep. with a boat on it, on the cover. And he asks for any more boat uh, book suggestions, too, speaking of sailing in the winter. Oh, uh, and again, ain't we lucky? It's an endless supply, yeah. you know, uh, really are. So so anyway, uh, yes, we are doing Boat Talk this morning. and um, Only have about 10 minutes left. Um, yeah. Did uh, get another listener, too, who uh, called in. So there's, uh, today is the 40th anniversary of the sinking of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Um, remember that one? Uh, made famous by the song. Oh, somebody approached me the other day and said that... Um, uh, I think it was uh, Ben Carson um, 
They were asking about the uh, pyramids, okay, and whether the who who built the pyramids and why. And then the subject became Noah's Ark, and uh, apparently Dr. Ben Carson allowed how um, Noah's Ark was designed by amateurs while the Titanic was designed by pros. So <laughs> I'm not sure what the inference would be. One of my favorite boat jokes, and again, I get to hang out with some of these masters of the financial universe. You know, I sail their boats. I get to stay at the summer houses and eat dinner with them and stuff. And isn't it a good thing we don't go seeing boats they design and build? Um, you know, because they're ripping too much off the top. And uh, they will laugh at that, but it's really not all that funny. Um, Howard from Camden called, and uh, he's glad to support Alan, Mike, and this Rich Hill singer fellow be coming up uh just about 10 minutes. On the wing, uh, back to the music at 11. Uh, Howard is a uh, business renewal member, and we appreciate that very much, Thank you, Howard. Howard. Yeah, one of my old boat buddies as well. So, John, um, we, uh, like I say, met uh, on your uh, boat transit here. When you get this boat home, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you expect to use it? Well, I, one of the biggest reasons I want to get it home is so I can pick at it all winter on my own. I'm, I'm fairly handy, and uh, I've got some plans to spruce it up. You have a heated space to put it into? Uh, I'll shrink wrap it, put it right beside the boatyard uh, building where, I, where I'm picking Heatable. it right now. Yeah. Heatable. I'll just put a couple foot heaters in it. And that'll allow me just to work on the woodwork and mm-hmm. do a lot of wiring. The, the fellow that had it before me was a bit meticulous, but not with wiring. He... Uh, there's actually tape on some of the wires, and as you know, that's not on with salt water. Mm, yeah, and wire nuts. So uh, I've just to make it good and add some electronics and whatnot. I've already put a, a GPS into it and a couple LED lights and things like that. But that was uh, because I've never seen so many lobster pots in my life as off this coast. You could walk from the boat to shore. Uh, it's the off season right now. I John. know that's what I was told. <laughs> yeah, but I've just that's my inexperience. Again, I'm learning. Yeah, the North Carolina boys I just brought up here were pretty surprised too. But again, it was the off season. Didn't look very much to me. So, well, um, one of the first things I'm going to invest in is uh, spurs or cutters. I guess you call them. Yeah. For the because uh, I think my uh, props are very exposed as we as we discussed and yes. Yeah, half my trip was just avoiding lobster pots, and the other half was avoiding waves. So it was interesting. Now, when you do get this thing home, and, and let's uh, uh, say it's uh, uh, on its morn on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, how do you, uh, what's, your, what's your dream for how to use this boat? Uh, well, take, take friends, family out, a uh, little bit of cruising. There's some gorgeous sights all along Nova Scotia harbors. Kind of like the coast of Maine. There's it, a lot it, of yeah. islands and anchorages. Exactly. Uh, you know. and a lot of people live on the islands, and they've built beautiful houses and, and fishing. But I've got to learn this. I'm, I've done some lake fishing. I find lake fishing kind of boring. But I've seen these fellas pulling big fish out of the ocean, and uh, I think I'm going to be interested in that. So Now... Here's an interesting subject. I had a great chat with a fellow down on a dock in North Carolina. I got to catch a lot of lines while I was uh, uh, waiting out uh, weather down in North Carolina and help people docking, which, again, is a, a huge learning curve for most people, you know. And um, you run into a fellow uh, just the other day, uh, Mr. Tuna there, who just had a boat built at uh, Southwest Boat Boatworks, uh, uh, Hot Tuna, Big Tuna, what's his? Dot uh, com. 
Yeah.com. Yeah, it's yeah, a reality uh, show on the cable TV. His name was uh, Alessandro, was the first mate, I yeah. believe. Yeah. That's yeah. And they're uh, running in out here. Uh, actually, got the boat in order, and they went out and caught some tuna. And... That was an absolutely beautiful boat. It was brand yeah. new. I believe it was down here is where they built it or worked on it. Yep. Yeah, in Stuben. Yeah, it was like a $1 million boat, 1,000 horsepower cat engine. And the inside of that boat was just, it was stunning. Did you mention that he um, handled it fairly aggressively at the dock? <laughs> well, I was sitting on the stern of my boat with Dave, and we're having a rum. And he comes tearing in and, and forward and just slams it into full reverse and stops half an inch from the dock. Hmm. He just... All right, now let's talk, let's talk about boat handling. When, when uh, <laughs> First thing I like to tell people is uh, we're not putting the boat on the dock. We're going to put the boat next to the dock. Okay, yeah. we're aiming for a couple inches away. Half no an inch thump. is good. No thump. No thump. Um, yeah. um, and, again, um, you are dealing with a powerboat here, a twin diesel powerboat. I'm, uh, my biggest experiment is sailboats. Now, they have a big keel. Okay, we have a mass, and that keel, um, that mass, once the boat is in motion, it wants to stay in motion. The powerboat being lighter doesn't glide, same as the a sailboat does. True. Um, but here's my point. Uh, you're an airplane guy from the Air Force, okay? We are moving this, this vessel, uh, the plane or, or the boat, through a fluid, mm -hmm. basically, you know? Um, and it doesn't go in a straight line like uh, driving your car into a parking spot. It really doesn't. It kind of skids. Well, in effect. the advice I had from Dave, which is really the first time anybody's given me advice on docking a larger boat, is get your hands off that steering wheel and use your engines. Forward, reverse, forward, reverse. And I was, I was hitting on my first few attempts, I was hitting this empty spot that, I, that the boat wouldn't cruise into off the dock. And I think what it is, it's pushing the water, and the water's pushing you back off. Mm -hmm. So I just, uh, through, through experience and a couple of thumps, uh, I'm slowly getting it. When I first pulled in here to the fuel dock on Sunday, I had to stop and just let the wind push me in because it was really gusty. But they saw me coming, and I had actually called and asked for assistance because I knew how windy it was. Yeah. And I said, I'm very inexperienced. He laughed and said, doesn't matter today if you're experienced or not. We'll be down there to keep you pushed off. And they did. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised that... Uh, at that experience and learning i always uh when i'm telling people about docking i use main lobsterman as an example and they come in fast and hot and they throw it into reverse they have an open um, um side at the wheel there they toss a line onto a cleat in the middle of the boat and then the boat is you know, the ends can go anywhere they want it doesn't matter but the fact is they come in fast and hot because the slower you go, the less well the boat steers. Right. And a lot of people will creep into the dock, but then the boat doesn't steer worth a, worth a fiddly. And, and uh, again, you get in trouble that way. Um, I feel I've got to have a lot more experience before I come in fast and hot. Because I think if I came in fast and hot right now, there would be a crash, not a thump. Yeah. But you do. Uh, let's go back to the skid again. You have to imagine the boat skidding in there. And you want it to skid more or less up to the dock um, in a controlled manner. Um, you know, without too much backing and filling or roaring out with the bow thruster if you have one. And, and again, it takes a lot of experience and, and good luck uh, playing with that, you know. It's a learning curve. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can't uh, get too quibbied up about it. Uh, people, um, a lot of people intimidated about docking their boats and don't tend to like to leave the dock because of that, you know, because they don't want to come back, frankly. You, you've got to own your boat. Yeah. You, it, it's like a rifle. You're carrying a rifle, you always police the end of that rifle. 
and you have to learn how to do things with the dock lines, how to uh, use them as springs and, and to move the boat, um, angle the boat in and out of the dock with, with uh, uh, rope tricks, as we call them as well. Um, fairly unappreciated by, by most people. So anyway, we did boat talk this morning. Uh, we did. We Talked to John McDonald, who, uh, again, is in transit. He bought a boat in Connecticut. He's trying to get it back to Nova Scotia. He's a uh, uh, having a second life uh, boat boat uh, nut, uh, wing nut kind of uh, con- conversion here, and, and it was interesting to talk to him this afternoon, this morning. So anyway. Yep, and uh, thanks to Amy Brown down in the engine room for uh, doing all the engineering kind of stuff. And- Stay tuned for Rich Hillsinger coming up next here on Community Radio WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and on the Internet at WERU.org. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble and Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jammers for more than 30 years at 16 Lime Rock Street in Camden. GambleandHunter.com. Support for WERU also comes.